As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Matt, today I I got a knock on the door and I went and answered the door and some guy had come by and he was asking for donations for the local swimming pool that they're building. Yeah. So I was like, okay, hang on. I closed the door. I, I went in, I came back out and I handed him a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> for for a moment, I didn't think this was the joke. <laughs> I thought you were telling me a story for the video. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and then I, re- I kind of realized, oh, this is the joke. Yeah, we're doing the joke. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now. Pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. <laughs> All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Better than I deserve, I can tell you that. Hell yeah, <laughs> same, same. So real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. We're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network and proud to be associated with the shows there on the network. Uh, You can find a list of shows that are part of the network, and you may find you one that you actually really like. Um, I was talking to my brother-in-law, Robert, the other day, and he did that exact thing. He got caught up on Graveyard Tales, and he's like, I need another show. So he went to Podbelly. And found a couple shows to listen to in the interim while he's waiting for us to release another one. So, yeah, here's the thing. If Robert can do it, y'all can do it, too. <laughs> and he'll tell you the same thing. <laughs> so go over podbelly.com yeah. and check them out. It's an easy way to find new shows that may interest you. Um, and I mean, they've got them across all, all genres. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a great resource to find a show that you might not even thought you would enjoy or would have ever found. Right. Exactly. Exactly. We want to thank tonight's sponsors, Care Of and Raycon. And we'll talk a little bit more about them throughout the episode. Um, while you're on the internet, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up to be a patron. Uh, we appreciate our patrons and we couldn't do this show without those who have signed up on patreon um y'all are like producers of the show because you help keep it going um so we we put out a bonus show every week plus our ten dollar a month patrons 
they get the video version of us recording these episodes with the mistakes left in and all that. So you get the here's how it was before I go through and edit out all our mistakes. Um, and the five dollar a month members get the video versions of the bonus episodes. So go over there and check it out. Sign up to become a patron at patreon.com slash graveyard tales. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about one of tonight's sponsors, Care Of. And you've heard Matt and I talk about Care Of before, and it's because we love Care Of. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high-quality, personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. All you do is you take a short, in-depth quiz about your lifestyle and health goals for a personalized recommendation, which helps eliminate the confusion and getting overwhelmed around finding out what vitamins you need to take and the routine that you need to get on. And Care of believes that your routine should help you feel your best. So their products and services help you build and maintain a vitamin routine that has a noticeable impact on your health and overall well-being. Yeah, and you know, Care of is great because when you when you take supplements and you go to the store um, you, you, you talk to the guy at, at the vitamin store, you, you read stuff online, you know, you, you get suggestions from friends and, and maybe even your doctor and you go there and you look and you're just like, what, what am I supposed to get here? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, Kerov makes it simple. You take the quiz and you give them your goals and it, it lays out a plan of supplements to help you meet those goals. And you don't have to worry about, well, should I take this or does this, you know, what's in this and everything. Plus, you don't have your cabinets just loaded full of, of bottles That's that right. you're having to sort through and everything. You get those convenient packs. You know what's in there. Everything's listed. You got all the information and all you have to do is rip open that pack that's personalized to you and, and take your supplements for the day. I mean, it it couldn't be easier. Right. I tell you what I like about the packets. We go on vacation every summer, and before we started taking care of, I would have my bottles of vitamins and stuff. So then you're yeah. thinking, okay, do I pack all of my bottles or do I dump all of these that I'm going to take for the whole trip into a Ziploc bag and then try to figure out which one's which or do I label it? Do I do? You don't have to worry about any of that with care of. You just say, okay, I'm going to be gone seven days on my trip. I pull seven packets out of there and throw them in my suitcase and go with it. You don't have 15 bottles of vitamins and supplements that your wife is yelling at you because they're taking up space in the, (laughs) the suitcase. And you don't have to worry about, you know, if I get pulled over, do I have to explain all these loose pills in a bag? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right. That that's one of one of the greatest things about them is just the convenience of the supplements and vitamins being in daily packets. Yeah, the cool thing about the packets is they are made from a plant-based compostable film, so you don't have to worry that you're oh, well, I'm throwing these packets and I'm adding trash to the... Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you can, you know, 
do what I do. Pitch them in your your compost pile, and you're done. I mean, it. Like I said, Care of it couldn't be easier. So if you want to get on the Care of train, like Adam and myself, all you have to do is go to takecareof.com and you enter our promo code GRAVE50, that's G-R-A-V-E-5-0, and you'll get 50% off your first Care of order. That's right. To get 50% off your first care of order, all you got to do, real simple, go to takecareof.com and enter our code GRAVE50, G-R-A-V-E-5-0. Matt, that's all I've got for tonight. So why don't you tell us, what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we go across the pond across the uh, pond to, <laughs> yeah to london england um where we're going to discuss another haunted cemetery mm-hmm. and we're going to look at highgate cemetery oh yeah now now one thing that always is just staggering to me when we talk about in particular the the cemeteries in the uk is how big they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are huge. And I've got some big cemeteries in Middle Tennessee that I've been to. Mm-hmm. They just they pale in comparison to the size of these things. Oh, I know. Sometimes sometimes just that size, you know, it it gives me that eerie feeling like you could get way the hell in here. Yeah, get lost you in know, there, and and be just totally isolated with nothing but a bunch of a uh, bunch of dead bodies laying around you. you yeah, know? right. It's kind of creepy just to think about that. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna get into what some of the activity that uh, reportedly has gone on in the cemetery, why people may think it's haunted. Um, but as we always do, and and especially with a cemetery. Uh, we need to take a look at the history. Oh yeah, um, because that's going to play heavily into what what happens there. Certainly. Um, so first, uh, we want to say go check our sources. Um, we always say that, but go down to the bottom of the show notes, check our sources. You can see where we found all this information, and you can continue the research if you would like to. Um, Highgate Cemetery was actually suggested by one of our patrons a while back, and then another one here recently so that's another thing join our patreon and you can throw us suggestions now everybody does and we put them on the list but you know just saying um so like matt said we need to look at the history of this now a lot of this history actually i found with the highgate cemetery historical records so a lot of this comes right from their records, a um, couple other sources, but most of it is from them. So let's get into it. it. says, in the early decades of the 19th century, London was facing a major crisis. Inadequate burial space, along with a high mortality rate, resulted in a serious problem. There was just yeah. not enough room for dead people. Yeah, and that's bad. That's a real bad thing. If you don't have anywhere to put your you're dead, bring out your dead, then, (laughs) 
it can cause disease and a whole lot of other things. So it was a big crisis for London at the time. Now, graveyards and burial grounds were crammed in between shops, houses, and taverns, and just wherever there was space. Now, in really bad situations, undertakers dressed as clergy performed unauthorized and illegal burials. Bodies were wrapped in cheap material and buried amongst other human remains in graves just a few feet deep. Quicklime was often thrown over the body to help speed up decomposition so that within a few months, the grave could be used again. So that's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, imagine you're like, oh, well, that that one's ready. What mm-hmm. about this one? Nah, we just did that one a month ago. Yeah, right. Um, it know, needs another two one? weeks. Oh yeah, that would. They're they're way ready. Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to keep up with that stuff. Mm-hmm. They probably had a like a daily planner just for which graves yeah. were ready. Yeah, um, a ledger. We buried yeah. somebody here four months ago. Yeah, it's ready to go. They should it's be like, ready. <laughs> like tables in a restaurant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Now the smell from these disease-ridden burial places was terrible, they said. Um, they were overcrowded, uncared for, and neglected. So it, it was getting to be dire straits there uh, with, with the burial situation. Now, the cause of this situation was that in the early 1800s, London had a population of just one million people. In the following years, the population had increased rapidly and the number of deaths along with it. So very little new burial space had been put aside to cater for the growing numbers. And by the early 1830s, the authorities were stating that for public health reasons, something had to be done. So and just saying, hey, nobody die for the next decade was not going to work. That's right. How about nobody die for the next few hours? Yeah, right. (laughs) Try that. It's like, can't even do that. Mm -hmm. Now, Parliament passed a statute to the effect that seven new private cemeteries should be opened in the countryside around the capital for the burial of London's dead. These cemeteries were Kensal Green, 1833, West Norwood, 1836, Highgate, 1839, Abney Park, 1840, Brompton, 1840, Nunhead, 1840, and Tower Hamlets, 1841. Nunhead sounds disappointing. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Moving Uh on. In 1836, an act of parliament was passed creating the London Cemetery Company. Now, Stephen Geary, an architect and the company's founder, appointed James Bunstone Bunning. What a name. Yeah. Bunstone Bunning. I don't want a Bunstone, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but Bunstone Bunning was appointed as surveyor and David Ramsey, renowned garden designer, as the landscape architect. And that's not Dave Ramsey, the financial guy. That's... Maybe a relative of his, but it's not get out of debt, Dave Ramsey. Now, a head office was opened at 22 Moorgate Street in London. The sum of 3,500 pounds was paid for 17 acres of land that had been the grounds of the Ashurst estate. Um, Descending the steep hillside 
from the Highgate Village was where this was. Now, over the next three years, the cemetery was landscaped to brilliant effect by Ramsey, and they had exotic, formal planting complemented by the stunning and unique architecture of both Geary and Bunning. Now, it was this combination that was to secure Highgate as the capital's principal cemetery. So, it's they're already talking about how it's a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And at its prime, I'm sure it was from everything I've read, it was an immaculate cemetery. Yeah. Now, on Monday, May 20th, 1839, the cemetery was dedicated to St. James by the Right Reverend Charles James Blomfeld, Lord Bishop of London. Fifteen acres were consecrated for the use of members of the Church of England and two acres set aside for dissenters, people who are not part of the Church of England. Just two acres, huh? Mm-hmm, just two acres for you dissenters there. Um, now, rites of burial were granted for either a limited period or in perpetuity. Now, the first burial on May 26, 1839, was Elizabeth Jackson. She was 36, and she was from Little Windmill Street in Soho. So it it would be interesting to be the first person buried at a new cemetery. That that seems interesting to me, and I don't know why. Oh, yeah. it's uh, You don't get to enjoy it. But, you know, it might be neat for your family. Yeah. Hey, yeah. we're first. This kind of sucks. But yeah. Okay. It, it's a. <laughs> It, it it's kind of an interesting um, thing to have, but then it's also sad. Um, now, the unparalleled elevation overlooking London, rising to 375 feet above sea level at its highest point, along with its unique architecture, meant that the wealthy would be encouraged to invest. The millionaire newspaper owner, Julius Beer, was one such investor who built the cemetery's most impressive monument. Um, He built it for his eight-year-old daughter, Ada. Now, this goes on to say that two chapels, one for the Church of England and the other for dissenters, were housed within one building, built in the Tudor Gothic style, topped with wooden turrets and a central bell tower, and the archway beneath the bell tower gives an imposing entry into the cemetery. So they went all out for uh, the, the chapels. Now, in the heart of the grounds was created the Egyptian Avenue, an imposing structure consisting of 16 vaults on either side of a broad passageway, entered via a great arch. So that that sounds pretty fancy, yeah. too. We're going to rock down to Egyptian Avenue. That's <laughs> <laughs> what, what I thought. If I we could, got 16 vaults. Every time I hear... Avenue, mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. what I, that I think of that song. Anyway, now <laughs> <laughs> um, these vaults were fitted with shelves for twelve coffins and were purchased by individual families for their sole use. Now this avenue then led to the Circle of Lebanon, which was built in the same style and consisted of twenty vaults on the inner circle, with a further sixteen added in the eighteen seventies, built in the classical style. Now, the circle was created by earth being excavated 
around an ancient cedar of Lebanon, a legacy of the Ashurst estate, and was used to great visual effect by the cemetery's designers. It says that above this, a separate Gothic-style catacomb named the Terrace Catacombs, due to its position on the site of the earlier terrace, terrace of Ashurst House, was completed in 1842. Now, this was built with an impressive 80-yard frontage and room for a total of 825 people in 55 vaults of 15 loculi each, each loculus being sold individually to house one coffin. Now, Highgate attracted a varied clientele and over the next 20 years became one of the capital's most fashionable cemeteries. That's a weird comment. Um, (laughs) That's right. It's like I, I have to be I have to be this posh member of society by being buried here. I'm not going to get anything from that. Right. Right. I mean, you know, but, but, it, but if, it, you know, I, I can tell people while I'm still alive that that's mm-hmm. where I'm going to be buried. Yeah. It's fashionable um, to be buried ha- there. So have an artist working on my monument, you know, years before I die, you know, that kind yep. of stuff. Yep. Just seems weird. But, In 1854, the London Cemetery Company was so profitable that the cemetery was extended by a further 20 acres on the other side of its Swains Lane site. This new ground, now known as the East Cemetery, was opened in 1856. Now, a tunnel beneath Swains Lane connected the new ground with the Church of England Chapel in the older West Side. Now, with the aid of a hydraulic lift, coffins would descend into the tunnel and remain on cemetery ground for the passage to the other half of the cemetery. So that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Now, the first burial in the new ground took place on June 12, 1860, and it was Mary Ann Webster, the 16-year-old daughter of a local banker. By that point, there were over 10,400 graves within the older part of the cemetery. During a short period of this decade, an average of 30 burials a day took place. Good God. Mm-hmm. Including the burial in the West uh, Cemetery of Tom Sayers, the famous bare-knuckled prizefighter, who to this day boasts the largest funeral in the history of the cemetery, with press reports of over 10,000 mourners in attendance, including Lion, his faithful dog, who is chief mourner. All right. I, I'll be doing good to have 10 people at, at my funeral, <laughs> not 10,000. You'll have more than 10. Eh, maybe 11 or 12. <laughs> now, now, this says that inarguably the most famous um, in, internment in Highgate Cemetery is in the East Cemetery, and it's that of the um, philosopher Karl Marx, who died in 1883. His grave must now be amongst the most visited in London. Yeah, I would imagine mm-hmm. just to go, hey, yeah, there it is. Yep. I saw Marx's grave. Yep. Now, by the turn of the century, the desire for elaborate funerals was waning and families began to choose less ostentatious memorials than the previous decades. At the outbreak of the Great War, which is the World War, they call that the Great War in England. Uh, many of the cemetery's 40 or so gardeners and groundsmen were called up to fight. 
Despite this diminished workforce, the grounds continued to be kept in immaculate order, held under the strict authority of the superintendent. Although some wealthy families continued to purchase select rites of burial into the 1930s, Highgate Cemetery was passing into a long terminal decline with less expensive and more common graves being the main option. Now, increasingly greater numbers of graves were abandoned as families died out or moved away and maintenance became minimal. Now, in 1956, in an attempt to raise much-needed income, the cemetery sold off its stonemason's yard along with the superintendent's house. Now, the two chapels were also closed in the same year. The London Cemetery Company was finally declared bankrupt in 1960 and was absorbed into the larger United Cemetery Company, which for the next 15 years struggled to keep the cemetery afloat. Funds eventually ran out and the gates were closed. The cemetery faced a bleak and uncertain future, this says. Now, in 1975, the Friends of Highgate Cemetery was formed with an aim to, quote, promote the conservation of the cemetery in in monuments and buildings, flora and fauna, for the benefit of the public as an environmental amenity, end quote. Work began to clear through the overgrown landscape and repair some of the memorials which had been damaged by vandals during the cemetery's decline. Since then, an increasing amount of restoration and conservation work has been carried out, and the Egyptian Avenue, Circle of Lebanon, and the Terrace Catacomb, along with over 70 other monuments, have now been listed by English Heritage, with over double that number having had expert attention and maintenance. During 2011, the chapel interior was restored to its 1880s color scheme and reopened for funerals. So that's cool. They're trying to revamp it to its original glory. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, because, I mean, what, there's over, what, 100,000 people buried there? You know, I mean, there's a lot of the uh, folks, I'm sure, whose families are long gone. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's plenty of folks there that, you know, they, they still have descendants that w- would be able, would better be able to visit their grave. You know, I mean, that'd be one of the first things I would do if, especially now, I mean, you, you, you do one of these, uh, family tree sites and you yep. learn, Hey, I had this. I'm related to this guy from, you know, all the way back in, you know, 1891. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's buried over here. I, I can actually go and visit the grave of my great, great uncle right. or something. Um, but, you know, with Highgate being in such disrepair for so long, it was difficult for any families to do anything like that. That's right. And, you know, you were talking about, the, the genealogy stuff and all that. There are a few people buried here that are worth mentioning. So let, let's talk about a few of these and then I'll, I'll kind of tell you a little bit more about a couple of them. Now, Edward Hodges Bailey is buried there. Um, a sculptor, Roland Hill, originator of the modern postal service, John Singleton Copley, who was an artist, George Eliot, or Mary Ann Evans, who was a novelist. Um, Michael Faraday, who was electrical engineer. 
William Freese Green, inventor of cinematography, Henry Moore, a painter, Karl Marx, father of communism, Elizabeth Eleanor Siddle, model of the pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, and, as Matt and I were talking before we started, Douglas Adams, who wrote The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, are all buried here. Now, this is another thing Matt and I were talking about before the, the mics were turned on, but for its protection, the oldest section, with its impressive collection of Victorian mausoleums and gravestones, plus the elaborately carved tombs, they allow admission only in tour groups. The newer section, which contains most of the angel statuary, can actually be toured unescorted. So if you want to go into the old, old part, you've got to be with a tour group. And like we were saying, it's for protection of the mausoleums and all the expensive and ornate Mm -hmm. burial areas. Right. Now, some of the people that I mentioned um, that were buried here, we will look into a little more deeply. Um, One of them is Roland Hill. And Roland Hill is a man usually credited with the invention of the modern postal service. Hill was born at uh, Kidderminster in what English English names, man? <laughs> Worcestershire, Worcestershire, Worcestershire. Yeah. Like we say, Worcestershire sauce. Well, it's not. Right. It's not Worcestershire, England. I think it's. It, I think it's actually like like Worcester. Worcestershire. I, I don't know. No, I mean like. I, I don't know. If if you're from London, it it, it y'all pick on me how I, I say these all the time, but Worcestershire sauce. <laughs> um, he was born there on the 3rd of December, 1795. And for a time, he was a teacher. He published his most famous pamphlet, Post Office Reform, Its Importance and Practicability in 1837, Uh, when he was 42 years old. Hill wrote in his reform plan about the need for pre-printed envelopes and adhesive postage stamps. He also called for a uniform low rate of one penny a letter to anywhere in the British Isles. Previously, postage had had depended on distance and the number of sheets of paper. Now, one penny could send a letter anywhere in the country. Mm. So that's pretty important for right uh sending so i mean we still have a set rate for most things mm-hmm. but it's kind of a a mix now of the old way and his way mm-hmm. yeah i mean you can still just put a postage stamp on a letter and you can get it where it needs to be mm-hmm. unless you're sending overseas and then it's a whole nother thing now, George Eliot, who I mentioned, uh, George Eliot was the pen name of the English female novelist Mary Ann Evans. Mary was born on November 22nd, 1819, on a farm near um, Nuneaton in Warwickshire. She used many of her real-life experiences in, in her books, which she wrote under a man's name in order to improve her chances of publication. Yeah, it worked. It did. Um Now, the last one we'll talk about is Michael Faraday, and you may know that name from the Faraday cage, but Michael Faraday 
was a British engineer who contributed to the modern understanding of electromagnetism and invented the Bunsen burner. Michael was born on September 22, 1791, near the Elephant and Castle in London. At 14, he was apprenticed as a bookbinder and during his seven-year apprenticeship developed an interest in science. After he sent Humphrey Davy a sample of notes that he had made, Davy employed Faraday as his assistant. In a class-ridden society, Faraday was not considered to be a gentleman, and it is said that Davy's wife refused to treat him as an equal and would not associate with him socially. Well, Faraday's greatest work was with electricity. In 1821, he built two devices to produce what he called electromagnetic rotation. The resulting electric generator used magnets to generate electricity. These experiments and inventions formed the foundation of modern electromagnetic technology. Ten years later, in 1831, he began his great series of experiments in which he discovered electromagnetic induction, uh, his demonstrations proving the concept that electric current produces magnetism. And there you go. There you go. <laughs> but uh, a lot of a lot of famous people buried in Highgate, mm-hmm. along with tons of others, and with all these uh, dead bodies lying around. Uh, you would think maybe, just maybe, there's a few spirits that decide to roam around the grounds of the cemetery. Um, oddly enough, there aren't uh, very many that are actually associated with anyone buried there. Um, a, a, a lot of the sightings, a lot of the reports are just, you know, general sightings of many varied uh, spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first documented claim of paranormal activity in the cemetery was made in the 1960s by a man named David Ferrant, and he published his sightings of a gray, tall man wearing a top hat in a letter to a newspaper, encouraging others to report their sightings as well. So he's saying, hey, I know I'm not the only one. Other Mm -hmm. people have seen this. You need to send in your sightings so we can have records of it. So the hat man, as he came to be known, was a regular sighting in the cemetery, He would walk casually across the road and disappear into a wall. Now, some people reported that when the hat man appeared, he was accompanied by the sounds of mournful church bells. Oh, I mean, that's kind of weird. That is, Um, yeah. While many people claim to have seen things, very few of the supposed sightings matched Terrence's description which suggests that they weren't all just copycats, you know? So uh, Ferrant had already published his sighting. Um, They didn't just get a flood of letters of people seeing the exact same thing. Now, as the number of these reports grew, so did the drama surrounding the encounters. The local newspaper, Highgate Express and Hampstead, started receiving letters from frightened individuals who went through various ghostly encounters. Now, one man wrote that his car broke down near the cemetery 
and he was terrified to have seen an apparition with red glowing eyes staring at him through the cemetery gates. That's weird. Yeah. You know, so you, your car breaks down. That's the last thing you want to see. Yeah, you right. Know? Oh, crap. Something's staring at me through out of this cemetery. Get me the hell out of here. Right. And I, mm-hmm. my wife canceled our triple A. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now an, another another fellow who was walking down Swain's Lane claims he was knocked to the ground by a creature that seemed to glide from the walls of the cemetery. Mm, now, he wasn't even creature, in the huh? cemetery. He was just going down the road. He just got yeah. a little too close. Yeah, right. Something said, whoop, got you. You know? <laughs> yep. And almost like guilt by association. That's you just right. happen to be there and you got you got yourself in trouble. Yeah. Now, the man claimed that as as approaching car headlights shown on the the this creature, it just it vanished into thin air. I just don't when like how he calls it. it a creature. Well, that it feels depends weird on what you read. So I, even in the report, it, it he, he bounces back and forth between the man and the creature and everything. But it sounds more like a a, a human form. Yeah, you know, like a humanoid something. Yeah. And, you know, even even ghosts need a little bit of exercise. There there have been reports of a ghostly bicyclist that's working his way up a steep incline. You know what? If I'm if I'm pedaling a bike up a steep hill in a cemetery, yeah, I'm probably dead. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, right. Or I will be, be shortly that's if exactly I'm pedaling up right. an incline. <laughs> The fact is, that's one of those things you're never going to see me do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, since I got my driver's license, I'm not pedaling up a steep incline. But uh, this was reported by a young mother who uh, apparently it just it absolutely terrified to see this ghostly bicycle. So it makes me wonder, was the bicycle a ghost, too, or or was the bicycle legit? And then there was a ghost riding it. It's a big difference that yeah that you make a valid point did the bicycle die is it a spirit bike or (laughs) did they have enough energy to confiscate a a real real bike bike? yeah you know hey my my schwinn just got stolen by a ghost (laughs) (laughs) yeah it rode off by itself i don't know what happened and there, there goes my bike. It, 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 and it's gone. Okay. Can you describe the thief? Well, you can see right through him. Yeah, pretty much invisible. Um, yeah. They went ooh when I yelled at him. Now there are also reports of a mad old woman with crazy hair that flows behind her as she runs through the cemetery, and some visitors. Uh, to the cemetery have actually reported encountering a wild looking woman who hurries past them. But as she goes by, she can be heard mumbling about people getting in her way. So Hmm. as, as the ghost story goes, she is the spirit of a woman who roams the cemetery looking for her children who she murdered. Oh, great. Yeah. (laughs) That's like, apparently uh, she moves pretty quick. Yeah, that's like the uh, uh, English version of La Llorona. Yeah, yeah. And 
murder the kids and then in the afterlife is trying to find them again. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's any violence associated with her other than she's crazy or, or seems to be. Yeah. Now, visitors and locals alike have reported seeing a hooded figure who stares into the distance, seemingly unaware that he's being seen at all. That is, until you try to get too close. It's said that as you reach the apparition, it vanishes only to reappear a few feet away, continuing to stare off into nothing. Hmm. So, you know, as you get close, it vanishes, but then you realize it vanished and just, it's, it's like it just made a leap a little bit further away from you. It, it doesn't really register that you're there, but it just, you can't, can't get close to it or it just moves away from you. Hmm. That's weird. And Adam, what would a haunted cemetery be without a woman in white? You know, you can't have a haunted cemetery or a haunted hotel without a woman in something. That's a valid point. Yeah, at Highgate, it just happens to be a woman in white. There are reports of a woman in white seen kneeling at at a grave. Um, Not a specific grave necessarily, um, but just at a graveside. You know, people have seen um, the apparition of a woman kneeling. Others have reported hearing the wail of a banshee, while other visitors have seen spectral faces appear right before them. People have also claimed that they have been physically attacked by unseen hands, and others have reported seeing a nun that appears to float through the graveyard. Hmm. Yeah. It's the floating nun. It's Sally Field. She is in the Highgate Cemetery (laughs) floating around, scaring the bejesus out of people. It seems like she's in the wrong cemetery because there's a nun head cemetery. Right. She's in the wrong one. Is she headless and her head's over in the nun head cemetery? Like, is that how it works? It's well, a headless nun. How would you know nun? if she was a nun if she didn't have a head? I guess by her habits. Like a, a big Bazinga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Didn't plan that one. Thank you, Matt. Good setup. Yeah, just put them right up. I set them up. He knocked them down. Sorry, y'all. I'm getting a giggle out of my own joke there. But if this wasn't enough to make you think twice about going in those cemetery gates, there were also cases of exploding coffins. Oh, geez. Exploding coffins. But this isn't as much paranormal as it is weird. But according to historians, burial vaults were lined with lead, which trapped the gases that were expelled by decomposing corpses. Yeah. Now, as the pressure built, the coffins would explode open. Now, it's a fairly scientific explanation to something that probably scared the living crap out of people. Oh, yeah. You know, in the, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, could you just, I mean, just picture it. You're, you're standing there, you're visiting, you know, great aunt Sally, and then all of a sudden, boom, you know, mm-hmm. it just explodes. Coffin explodes, an arm flops out. Yeah. But what's cool is how they dealt with the issue. Pipes were placed into the vaults to allow gas to escape. Hmm. And then they would ignite the gases, essentially creating a dead guy Bunsen burner. 
That's wild. You know. So, Is that where Faraday got the idea? I was going to say, if, if Faraday's grave didn't have this, then they missed the boat entirely. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, Faraday was but probably just, visiting a relative, and he's like, this gives me an idea. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, if we can light this pipe with the gas mm-hmm. coming out, what else could we do? Um, but, yeah, that that's pretty I, – I thought – well, if you just venom, then that's okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. but they took it a step further and said, no, yeah. we'll ignite them. You they, know, so they got these little, maybe these little blue flames. What, what's um, that saying? Go big or go home? That's I right. Mean, We're going to do it up, you know, you know, on Guy, be, Guy Fawkes Day or whatever. They, they, put, they <laughs> yeah. fireworks out of them. No. It's your boxing day. Um, <laughs> I would be concerned with the. Uh, flames traveling back in and actually burning the clothing or whatever that's still in the the vault there like i i don't know why that would be a a better option than just venting it it doesn't make any sense to me it's cool but it just doesn't make any sense to me okay so probably the most common story from highgate cemetery is that of the Highgate Vampire. Mm-hmm. Now, the story says that the body of an eccentric medieval nobleman who reportedly practiced black magic was brought from Romania to London in the 1700s by his followers. The followers purchased a house in Highgate and buried the nobleman in the backyard. Okay. Now, this property would eventually become a part of Highgate Cemetery. So, so this guy wasn't buried in the cemetery. He was already buried in the yard of his house, and that property became a part of the cemetery. So hmm. he, in essence, was you know, buried there long before it was actually a cemetery. Yeah, yeah. And there, there really were no problems until, according to author Sean Manchester, Satanists performed rituals in the graveyard that brought the vampire back. Oh, geez. And they probably didn't even know. They were just in there doing stuff. See, that's why we tell people, look, you screw around with this stuff. It screws right back with you. So you don't know. I mean, you're out there. You're doing the ritual. You're just having fun on a Friday night. And you had no idea that there was, you know, a 300-year-old vampire buried in your backyard. And now... You've woken him up. So look at all the problems it causes. Adam, you're a lot like me. We we have similar tastes in music. Uh, We like similar podcasts. Mm -hmm. And Amanda and I really dig audiobooks. Right, yeah. Um, You know, and and we're, we're listening to a great series of audiobooks right now. And sometimes I don't want to quit listening when I get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I'm in a good spot and it's hotter than blazes. So I don't want to sit in the car to <laughs> listen to the rest of this chapter. My Raycons make it so easy to keep right on listening. I mean, I pop my Raycons in, I get out, I can head in the house and I can keep listening to my book and it sounds perfect. Yep. You know, it, it you just you just can't beat it. 
my Raycon wireless earbuds are always with me. I never leave home without them. I've always got them because you never know when I might need to take a phone call. Um, when I've got some, you know, I, I, I've got to wait for something and I may want to listen to a show, listen to a book, listen to some music. I've got my my Raycon wireless earbuds right in my pocket. Put them, pop them in and connect right away. Raycon's everyday earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever. Um, they have optimized gel tips for the perfect fit. Yeah, they fit down in your ears um, and you find the right size. They will not fall out. They are absolutely comfortable and you can you could do a backflip and you couldn't get these things to come out. Right. Okay. And one of the things that I really enjoy is that they offer three different sound profiles that match what you're listening to. So maybe I'm listening to, you know, I'm if I'm mowing the grass, I like to listen to uh, the Grateful Dead, and I can I can turn on the profile that makes it sound good. If I'm listening to a book, I may not want all that extra bass. I want to hear the vocals clearly. I change my sound profile. Right. Boom. Now sounds perfect. Um, so same with podcasts. You know, you you fix it to what you're listening to. And you're going to love how it sounds. Oh, yeah. Um, we all, all three of us, me, Ashley, and Michael, have a pair of Raycons because we love them so much. And sometimes I'll realize that Michael has it on the noise isolation mode because I'm yelling at him and he's not responding. Um, so they really do work. They cut out all external noise. Um, like Matt's saying, it's good for mowing the yard or it's good for ignoring your parents if that's something you like to do um but i like to wear them anytime i'm doing anything around the house if i'm doing yard work if i'm doing some construction project or something like that or if i'm folding laundry or or vacuuming you know the exciting stuff Uh, but i wear them all the time and then we also wear them to the gym so the cool thing is raycons give you eight hours of playtime and a 32 hour battery life then when you need to charge it, it's super easy, and you can even do it wirelessly, which is awesome. I yeah. I mean, just lay it on a charging pad. That's amazing. But I will be able to listen to them at the house, and then I'll plug them in shortly before we go to the gym, or heck, I even just drop the earbud in the case, and it'll recharge the earbud quickly so I can recharge my earbuds between getting ready for the gym and getting to the gym. And then they don't ever fall out, like Matt was saying. And no matter what I'm doing, if I'm running on the treadmill, if I'm lifting weights, nothing. They don't ever fall out. They fit perfectly. You kind of forget they're in. Um, mm-hmm. I know I do a lot. I'll have them in, and Ashley will be talking to me. I'll have one in, you know, and she'll mm-hmm. be talking yeah. to me, and I'll forget that one's in. And she's like, are you listening to me? And I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, you got your ear, buddy. Oh, I, I didn't even realize it was in. I, I promise you're not going to be disappointed um, with the price, the quality, the ease, everything uh, of Raycon Everyday Earbuds. That's right. And you get the same quality audio as other premium audio brands, but at half the price. And that's one of the the biggest selling points for Raycon is their price. So if if you're sitting here thinking, I want to get a hold of some of these Raycons and I, I want to get on that Raycon life, 
you can do that. All you got to do is go to buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash tails, T-A-L-E-S, and you can get 15% off your Raycon order. Just go to buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash tails, and you can get 15% off of your Raycon order. That's buyraycon.com slash tails for 15% off. Well, and you got, uh, you know, in, in, we've discussed it in other episodes, but you've got people that will perform ritual ceremonies or something like you said to have fun and i would say 80 percent of the time they don't expect anything to happen mm-hmm. or whatever and most of the time it probably doesn't but every now and then you get somebody that does it and they do it correctly on mm-hmm. accident mm-hmm. or they do it incorrectly and cause some other mistake and it causes some crap to happen and you've either become possessed or you, you caused a haunting or something because you were out there trying to be cool and uh, show off to your girlfriend that, look, I'm not scared of this stuff or whatever. So just don't play around with it. Right. If you probably yeah. don't know what you're doing. So don't mm-hmm. play around with it. That's right. That's right. Now, in, in 16 and 16, in 1968, On Halloween night, a group of teens broke into the cemetery. They reportedly arranged flowers taken from the graves into circular patterns with arrows pointing to a new uncovered grave. The body inside had been disturbed and an iron stake had been driven through the coffin lid into the corpse's breast. Since then, there have been reports of people seeing gray figures walking around in the cemetery. The people, make, the people making the reports were notably well-respected community members. So it, it was unlikely any of the members of this, this group of kids, um, it, it wasn't people drinking or, or on drugs or anything. The, these were people, you know, that were well-known in the community. So they had a little bit to lose by saying, hey, we're seeing some weird hooded figures walking around yeah. in, in the in the cemetery. Now, those who supposedly saw the vampire described him as very tall, dark, and that he floated smoothly across the grounds. The air would grow cold when he was nearby and clocks and watches would stop. Hmm. Animals are also frightened of him and the vampire was suspected of several incidents of foxes being found drained of blood in the cemetery. And at least it's foxes and not like neighbors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could deal with some foxes being drained of blood, but. But the story of the Highgate vampire doesn't end there. Now, David, uh, David Ferrant or Ferrant. How did I say it earlier? I don't remember. I don't either. <laughs> okay, anyway. So, 
I, I think it's it's David uh, Ferrant, uh, who we talked about earlier, was apparently um, an avid believer in the Highgate vampire, as well as was his rival, Shane Sheffield. And the two kept the national news focused on the supposed vampire. By the end of the 1960s, the vampire had become such an iconic story that Highgate Cemetery was the filming location for the movie Count Dracula. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, they, it, it, it was, I mean, it was just kind of well known that there was a vampire mm-hmm. that was in Highgate Cemetery, so they filmed the movie there. Now, despite... Oh, go ahead. I understand. Why not? I mean... It, yeah, it's it, cool. You might get an extra vampire on set if that's the case. Wouldn't that be neat? People go back and watch that movie and you could see somebody in the background. There he is. Yeah. It's like, that's not an actor. He just kind of skittered into the frame. He was probably trying to come in and tell them they were doing stuff all wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I do not sound like that. And that's not how. I don't go blah, 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 blah. Yeah, right. (laughs) I don't say I want to suck your blood. I just walk up and go, "Hey, I'm I'm about to suck your blood," and that's yeah. all I do. Yeah, here we go. I, I may not even tell you next time. Despite agreeing on what haunted the cemetery, Sheffield and Ferrant spent their energies trying to discredit one another, and the rivalry got so bad that in 1970, the two agreed to have a quote wizards duel. <laughs> in the cemetery itself okay <laughs> i mean this is just like this is now it's it's gone off the rails. Uh, these I two guys are gonna video. have a wizard's duel. this is i mean this is the in 1970 i mean there's no harry potter i mean no. you know they they're gonna have this wizard's duel but I, un- unfortunately for them itv news caught wind of the duel and decided to highlight it as a distraction from the intense political news at the time. Mm-hmm. So on Friday the 13th, the station interviewed uh, Ferrant and Sheffield. The interviews caused such a mass rush of quote-unquote hunters to the cemetery uh, that it, it caused this huge frenzy and most of the bodies in Highgate were dug up, staked, oh, and or disturbed in various ways. My Lord. So, I mean, it just, it whipped this community into a frenzy thinking they're going to go and start staking all these damn corpses because they're vampires. I, I, I don't even know what to say, man. That's, that is wild. Yeah. I, it, it I was, wish they'd have just done the duel and like videoed it or yeah. something so I could see a video of this duel. I mean, graves were desecrated, remains were taken, and left outside areas of the cemetery. One man reportedly found a skeleton in the driver's seat of his car. Oh, my God. I mean, seriously. And people do some crazy things, you know, just, when, you, when you get that mob mentality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why. Okay. You're going to go try to stop them from becoming vampires. Fine. Not really fine, but you know what I'm saying. Go, go, do yeah, that. Wait, like, wait a minute. Yeah, whatever. Go go do your thing. But then 
you're going to desecrate the corpses by just flinging them around outside of the cemetery, putting them in people's cars. How is that <laughs> stopping I vampires? I know. It's it's doing nothing for anyone. No. Yeah. No. Except you're getting some shiggles and <laughs> it's just I don't Shiggle. get it, man. Yeah. You know, and giggles. Uh, I get it. I like it. But after that incident, most of the hunters were prosecuted and the cemetery was bought by a mysterious group known as the Highgate Friends, which Adam mentioned earlier. The group closed the cemetery off for years and eventually opened a small section to visitors. But as Adam said, the West Side is still closed off and it's only available to guided tours. And I did I did find uh, an article that said that some of these hunters were actually brought before the the Highgate friends, um, hmm. treating them almost like they were some weird, mysterious society that was overseeing the cemetery now. So I don't know how accurate that is. I only found one article that said it, but I thought that was kind of cool if now this yeah. secret society runs the Highgate Cemetery. <laughs> that That is interesting. I, but who I, knows? I would like to know. But who knows? But um, it is widely believed that um, a, at least a, a chunk of these stories are true, um, that people have have seen multiple things inside the cemetery, have had many, many varied experiences. You know, so it, it is believed that the cemetery is haunted. Um, I would say I I agree. Based on the number of stories, there's not, but because as we said, there's only a portion of it that you can just actually go in and walk through. You, you mm-hmm. have to have to schedule a guided tour to see other parts of it um, that are off limits. But even still, there's there's not a lot of reports out there in the modern day of what people see just because there's not people milling around and, and snooping and searching or or paranormal investigating Highgate Cemetery. Right. Um, there have been um, a lot of amateur investigators that have visited the uh, the cemetery uh, in hopes of you know catching a glimpse of something, but they really can't go in there and spend the night like they would want to. And, and so uh, there have been a few psychics that have visited there, and they say they feel a weird energy that is just like you don't belong here. Hmm. And, and I've heard that from other um, psychics that have visited cemeteries. And it's not an angry thing. It's, it's a, this is a place of the dead. Right. And, and it's no place for the living. That's the, that's the feeling that they get, you know, yep. and we've, and we, you know, we've talked about how, how psychic abilities work sometimes. And it's, it's not a, it's it's not a verbal thing. It's just you you get that feeling as if maybe it was said to you um, because you're feeling the energy. You're feeling the emotion that's there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you're sensitive to it. Um, well, and it's kind of like them just saying, look, respect us. Quit dabbling and 
picking around and and yeah. trying to communicate with us and everything. Like you said, this is a place of the dead. You know, you quit performing your experiments here and move on. Yeah. Yeah. But all in all, like I said, you know, we're talking about a huge cemetery and it's spooky in and of itself. When you when you look at some of the architecture, you know, it is it is very beautiful, but it's also at the same time very ominous. Um, so it, it, it does kind of give you that, that feel and, um, of man, I, if there was going to be a haunted cemetery, Highgate would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a very cool place. And, and I'm, I'm curious if any of our listeners in the UK have, have visited Highgate cemetery or have been close enough to it to have at least seen it. Um, maybe live near it, live near it. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you do, or if you have, let us know. Um, and the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. Uh, you just go on Facebook, search Graveyard Tales. You'll find our, our show page and you'll find the group. It's called The Graveyard. Um, and that is a really great place to share stories because we, we all want to hear them. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's a safe place. Nobody's going to pick at you or poke fun at you or call you a nut job, anything like that. Um, but you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can check out our webpage. It is a graveyardpodcast.com. And on our site, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. You can listen to the show and you can become a patron. And we always take time to thank the folks that have donated money to the show. Uh, it really, really does help keep Adam and I going at this and, and yep. keep keeping the show, um, you know, free to you guys. And that's right. what we want to do. So for Highgate Cemetery, that's all I've got. What about you, brother? Yep. That's all I got. And all I can say is stop desecrating corpses. <laughs> yeah, don't. Don't do that. Desecrating corpses is bad. Mm-hmm. Even if you're hunting for vampires, it's bad. Yep. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 